0: Hey everybody, and welcome to West New York Brews. If this is your first time, my name is Scott. I'm a home brewer just outside of Buffalo, New York. And on this episode, I interviewed Brian Rabe from LowOxygenBrewing.com. Hey, did you know that West New York Brews is a member of the Hopped Up Network? You can find them at hoppedupnetwork.com. It's a network of independent regional beer podcasts. So if you want to find out more information about beer in certain regions, or if you're in Buffalo, because Buffalo is very well represented on the Hopped Up Network, you should check out hoppedupnetwork.com. We're going to hear a quick promo from one of the other podcasts, the What the Hops podcast out of Buffalo. If you're trying to follow the Buffalo beer scene, What the Hops is a phenomenal follow. They simply get out to many more events than I do and have a great uh, chemistry. It's a fun podcast to listen to. And welcome, everybody, to... what? Wait, Brian, what are you
1: doing? Oh, yeah, that's right. We're supposed to be recording
0: a promo here, aren't we? Um, aren't you supposed to tell people where they can find us?
1: Yeah, we're What The Hops podcast based out of Buffalo, New York. We like to talk a lot about beer.
0: A little bit about music.
1: And all sorts of random things. So be sure to go find us wherever you get your podcasts and hit up all your social medias and search What The hops and hit
0: that like button. Cheers. Let's go into uh, low oxygen brewing with Brian Rabe, giving an overview of what low oxygen brewing is, some best practices, and a breakdown of why and when you would want to keep the dissolved oxygen in your brew uh, very, very low. So my introduction to this came from my homebrew club And a small talk we had with a couple of the guys talking about low-oxygen brewing. So after that talk, I was at a loss for why and how. So I found low-oxygen brewing just through a simple Google search. It was the top thing to come up if you search low-oxygen brewing because it's lowoxygenbrewing.com. And that's Brian Rabe's site. And I learn a lot better when I hear things. And when I start reading things, I tend to um, skip and skim So I contacted Brian and asked him if he would go over some things on the podcast, and he was nice enough to do so, and we spent about half an hour talking about low-oxygen brewing. He has offered, if people listening to this have more questions, to come on again, and we can go in a little bit of a deeper dive on some more of the topics. So as you're listening, if you have questions and you want to send them to me, scott at wnybrews.com, we can have a whole second episode where uh, Brian goes through your questions and then I will stop bugging him. So this is the uh, interview with Brian Rabe from Low Oxygen Brewing. We're going to get right into it, and in a little bit, I'll talk to you again. All right, so Brian Rabe from Low Oxygen Brewing is joining me here on West New York Brews, and you have listed, it says, over 1,200 brews under your belt, and is that... Has that been updated since like would you want to go with a higher number now?
1: Yeah, I mean uh, I brew I brew every Friday, so whenever I wrote that, if it was a year ago, we can add fifty two batches at least but <laughs> right. but uh yeah, no I brew quite a bit. How big are your batches? I can brew from five gallon to fifteen gallon batches
0: Wow so you, you have a lot of friends then
1: I brew for a lot of people <laughs> i uh I keep a lot of beers on tap so with friends and family I usually go through uh five to fifteen gallons a, a week. So that's what keeps me brewing.
0: That sounds about right here. We have I live right next to my parents and uh my wife will drink beer, my parents will drink beer and anyone who comes over will drink beer and it seems like it can never oh, brew fast enough.
1: Yep, yep. My parents uh entertain a lot. They have like a backyard kind of oasis thing going on. So nice they have three beers of mine on tap there. So, uh, so with them entertaining a lot, they go through just massive amounts of beer. <laughs> it's fun. Which is, which is great for me because I, I actually, I really love the brewing side, the scientific brewing side and the method. So it, it allows me to brew every Friday and that's basically what I love to do. So now you came
0: from uh, computer science and engineering.
1: Yep. So, uh, went to school to be a automotive engineer and, uh, oh. Kind of got out of that, and now I'm in the uh, IT industry more so with the uh, TV providers and whatnot, so I do a lot of fiber optic work, actually, for my company. I do all our fiber optic transport and stuff like that.
0: And if it provides you the time to brew, that's great.
1: Yeah. It, uh, I love my job. I love what I do. It allows me to, to uh, pursue my hobbies, so it's great. So the
0: last thing about, about your um, bio that I want to say is, is it says you have 250 or, or more brews using low-oxygen brewing methods, uh, which is more than I've brewed in the past seven years, I think. Could you define low-oxygen brewing for us?
1: Yeah, so back in 2014, I got a group together and we started to go down this path of what is low-oxygen brewing and, and what is that, that type of stuff. Uh, basically, uh, it, it's kind of this elusive German flavor that's really hard to reproduce in the States. Uh, pretty much no one does. But if you were to get a fresh beer over in Germany or Europe, it, it's just leaping out of the glass at you. It's a fresh, lingering grain flavor. It's soft malt and soft hops and, and really good drinkability. So, what we did is, is we tried to mimic some of the professional breweries the large macro-professional European breweries, your Paul Energy, your Spaten, your Bitburgers, those kind of breweries, we tried to mimic that on the homebrew scale. So in a nutshell, low oxygen brewing for us is the interpretation of professional brewing methods in a homebrew setting.
0: Okay, and not necessarily specific for German beers, but it seems like that's at least what got you into it, yeah?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So big German fan. Um, my grandma it was 100% Austrian, so she was born and raised over there. So that heritage and, and that kind of stuff drew me towards the German beers and the German brewing stuff. And uh, that's kind of where where our focus lies. The Germans, um, we'll just say Europeans, the Europeans and even the, the Japanese folks are very, very uh, on the front of the scientific brewing and research world, so they kind of lead the way for all the rest of the world to follow, as it were.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it, it is it is in different uh, beers across the world, but the European sector is very dense with those breweries.
0: Okay, so it's it's not a new concept.
1: No, I mean basically in the I want to say. Mid to nineteen, mid to mid to late 70s um, is when brewing science really started to take off, and they really started to understand the pieces and parts that is brewing science,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: um, they really started to understand what makes it tick and what does what, and so um, even you can find scientific and scholarly articles back in the 70s that talk about avoidance of oxygen on the hot side and hot side aeration and that kind of stuff and what it does to the beer. And for the Germans, especially the Europeans and Germans who brew a lot of pale lagers, it is really essential for their, their product.
0: So keeping the oxygen low is going to do what to a beer then?
1: There's a few things, but the major things are with the lack of oxygen, you won't notice the oxidation effects to the beer as far as color. Think of it as when you slice an apple or an avocado and it sits out for a little bit, it turns brown. That's a straight oxidative reaction with the apple or the fruit or whatever touching air rough with iron and steel. It's the same kind of degradation of a product in contact with oxygen. So the first thing you'll notice with the low oxygen stuff is that your beers won't take on a almost like a like a a orangish hue. It'll be really pale and yellow, and it won't have any orange tint to it. That's one of the, the first things. And the Germans brewing these pale styles with the Munich Helles and the Pilsners, they want those beers sparkling and beautiful straw. And you can't get that without the avoidance of oxygen. The other thing is there's a, a fresh grain flavor that comes from these beers so the grain itself is very rich in antioxidants. And when you go in with water that is just normal strike water that is heated, you're looking at it having somewhere between 3 and 5 ppm of oxygen in it. And so those oxidative compounds in the malt react with that, that oxygen in the water. And you use that up. Well, those, those malt antioxidants, those polyphenols, are flavor constituents as well. So they contribute this fresh lingering grain flavor. And, and it's, it's very similar, similar to reaching in a grain bin and taking a, a bite of some kernels and chewing on those kernels. That fresh, raw grain character yeah. that really transfers through the beer um, all the way to the finished product when, when you're really careful about the oxygen. And so that's how these German beers and these European beers can have this great grain and fresh aroma and whatnot. And so that's probably the two biggest things is the color and that, that subtle flavor component. So
0: then I guess starting right at the mash, you were saying your strike water is going to have a certain amount of, of oxygen already in it then. Um, what are some best practices to, I suppose, do away with that?
1: Yeah. So to, t- to kind of go back a little bit and understand why we remove oxygen from water
0: uh-huh. and
1: why, how the, the European brewers, I, I cite them a lot because I know them very well. I've, I've taken quite a bit of coursework from Weinstefan and stuff like that. So all my knowledge goes back to them, but they kind of stumbled on this whole thing accidentally and they stumbled on it because the water they were using at the time was very high in bicarbonate. And so they were pre-boiling their water to knock out the bicarbonates because they found with their, with their pale lagers, that hard water left, um, you know, it wasn't refreshing. It it just wasn't where it was supposed to be. So they found that pre-boiling that water, um, would knock out those bicarbonates and would produce a smoother beer. So by de facto, You combine that with the square cube law and the square cube law basically says as your vessels grow bigger, your surface area gets smaller. Mm -hmm. So um, these guys are are brewing on super large macro systems. So their surface to volume ratio is is really low in comparison to us in the homebrew scale where our pots are usually wider and shorter. So I fully think that the Germans stumbled onto this unexpectedly it was a, it was a byproduct of their procedures to make the best beer they could make. And so they were boiling this water and they were just letting it cool down to strike temperature and then doing in and, um, that knocked out, you know, 95% of the oxygen in the beer, just de facto. Mm. And so, so we have really two options to mimic that. And one is to actually boil, which is a, a viable option. And one is to use yeast. So what we know about yeast is is that in fermentation, yeast will consume all the oxygen in their processes and get that oxygen basically down to zero. So we can let them work for us and do that by simply adding a little bit of sugar Mm -hmm. and some yeast and letting them do their process. And it will naturally take it down to very low DO levels, probably around uh, 500 parts per billion or 0.5 PPM. So that's awesome. I mean, that's a, that's a really easy kind of, you can do it the night before you uh-huh. want to brew and it doesn't add any more time to the brew day per se. You know, you can get your strike water ready, put it in the kettle, put your yeast in your, your sugar, and, and put the lid on and come to it the next day and start heating your water. So that's a really easy way. Um, but the pre-boil, the pre-boil I would say is kind of the, the gold standard, the pre-boil is going to take you back basically down to zero. And, um, then you don't have to deal with any potential, um, off flavors from, yeast and being in the mash and being heated and possibly rupturing and so there's a little bit of drawbacks but but honestly um if it were if it were an option to do nothing do the yeast or boil yeah i would do yeast without a thought before not boiling or you know not doing anything
0: okay then would you want to use a brewing yeast the same yeast you're going to use just a dry yeast
1: no, the baker's yeast is great because uh, because it's made to rapidly ferment, and basically, in the time you would be able to proof a, a dough, or like an hour,
0: yeah,
1: it'll have it'll be pretty close to where you want it to be. Okay. And and it's a minuscule amount. It's basically, uh, uh, I think we settled on one gram of yeast and sugar per gallon. So in a ten gallon beer, you're looking at ten grams of sugar and yeast, and that's, I mean, nothing too big. Right.
0: So. yeah, and just a one to one.
1: Yep, just one to one.
0: So that's going to take care of most of the O2 in your strike water, and then you, you got to keep it out of all of your all of your processes.
1: That's I, the tricky part.
0: Let me let me throw in a plug for the website too, because I'm I'm scrolling and I've been on lowoxygenbrewing.com now for the past I think two weeks was the last meeting that we had. We had a long talk about low oxygen brewing and what everybody's doing to uh, to mitigate the oxygen in their system. So thank you for listening so far. I'm going to butt in here and give you just a couple of announcements. So this episode of West New York Brews is obviously the first one in a very long time. I already have some more recorded. So in two weeks, we're going to get the next episode out, which is uh, getting started with home brewing and choosing the right fermenter. So that's in two weeks. But I wanted to alert you about a, another podcast that I started, um, which is, is super short and quick. It's the 2015 BJCP Style Guidelines, but in audio form. And I got permission to do this from the BJCP. You can find all of the 2015 BJCP style guidelines at their website, bjcp.org. But you can find that on whatever podcast catcher you use. If you listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, I think I'm working on getting it on iHeartRadio as well, which means you can say to your uh, smart speaker, your Google or your Alexa, hey, Google, play The 2015 BJCP Style Guidelines audio. And it will start playing the podcast, the latest one. So that's uh, going to be released a new category every week. Uh, So this week is two, section two. International Pale Lager, International Amber Lager, uh, International Dark Lager. And next week is going to be three. So it's being released on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So look for that. You can also find it at WNYBrews.com. And then next week, expect a video on the YouTube channel. That's WNYBrews.com forward slash YouTube. Because I'm going to be seeing if I can keep up with this publishing schedule for a little bit. And uh, how long it takes before I completely fall off the wagon again. So (laughs) thank you. I'm going to get right back into the uh, interview with Brian Rabe. And uh, sorry for pausing you. All right, back in. So the MASH, MASH cap came up. Yep. Um, for example, I, I'm working on a grain father. You know, I've been recirculating my mashes, making sure that it wasn't underneath the the water level, making sure it wasn't underneath the wort level. So give me, well, well first you can tell me I'm wrong because I've stopped doing that, but <laughs> give me some other ways to kind of mitigate the mash.
1: Yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, the square cube law is, is really what we're trying to mimic in our homebrew setup. I mean, everything we do is a hack based on um the professional the professional process so just some form of some way to limit surface area if it's a piece of tin foil if it's a piece of saran wrap some kind of floating cake pan just something to cut down that surface area I mean the the surf I ran the calculations it's been a while but I ran the calculations on uh wine brewing system compared to our brewing system. And mm-hmm. I think our surface area is something to the magnitude of like a hundred thousand times greater.
2: <laughs> wow.
1: Just, just <laughs> because of our scale. Yeah. So it, you know, anything we can do to try and limit that. I know a lot of people who try a lot of things as far as silicone baking mats and mm. uh, just, just something, just something. So it's not touching oxygen is basically
0: now I know some people who will stir halfway through their mash. Is that something that you do?
1: I don't, I personally don't. Um, but again, I I don't want to say I'm an anomaly, but I, I designed my system from scratch from the ground up to mimic a professional system that is completely purged in an inert environment with nitrogen. So I don't do any of that stuff. I, I mimic the professional breweries exactly. But you know, for, for the other people, um, you can definitely stir, and that's that's why that's the use of metabisulfite comes in to protect the home brewer's shortcomings, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, um, lack of a mash cap, or if you have to stir, or if you can't get that water low enough in the dissolved oxygen. So the metabisulfite is a great hack as far as um, cheap insurance to keep your – Dissolved oxygen at bay. I know a lot of people who are using um, um, the Braumeisters, the Spiedel Braumeisters, which yeah. is very similar to your grandfather and your Robo Brew, yep. and they have great success.
0: And the uh, metabisulfite is part of the trifecta.
1: Yeah, so the trifecta is a hack on a commercially available antioxidant that home brewers can't get. Okay. So the, the professional mixture is made by um, AEB Chemicals and it's called uh, Antioxidant SBT. Okay. And it's a blend of uh, sodium metabisulfite, uh, ascorbic acid, and gallotannins, which is exactly what the trifecta mix is. It's sodium metabisulfite or potassium, it doesn't matter. Okay. They have a little bit different molecular molar weight, but. They're pretty much interchangeable between the sodium and the potassium. It has this ascorbic acid and it used Brutan B, which, which, so it basically uses off the shelf antioxidants that mimic this professional antioxidant. You would add that to your strike water and that would knock down any residual dissolved oxygen in your strike water. Then that would allow you to add that strike water to your grain and get any residual oxygen from your dough in. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to protect you all the way to the boil.
0: Okay. Is there anything special that we have to do in the boil to make sure that we're not introducing oxygen?
1: No, because uh, the boil itself is going to knock out all the oxygen. Right. And boiling water or boiling wort has no oxygen. So you don't have to worry about it there. And your your metabisulfite and, and antioxidants are going to stick around because boiling does not get rid of those. Only oxygen expels your antioxidants, mm-hmm. which will get rid of your antioxidants when you oxygenate for before pitching yeast so basically you want to set your dosage amount to cover you from strike to yeast add. and it really doesn't take a lot it, it's uh, uh we, we we have been lowering and lowering the dose after we've had people brewing batches and kind of playing with it and we're at like 20 20 ppm for a dose and you're talking about maybe a, a couple grams at yeah. most it's minuscule you want enough to protect you but you don't want too much to, because the yeast you know in another brewing you know in cider making and wine those antioxidants are used to stun and, and basically stall yeast so yeah. it, it has the same effect on brewer's yeast so you just want to make sure your dose is low enough and that you oxygenate enough and then you'll have no worries and there's no residual sulfites. So, so the big deal when, when the sulfites were brought up originally back in like 2015 and whatnot, where people were concerned that you were having sulfites in your finished product and you're not because you, you get rid of those the minute you oxygenate that wort. Have no longer sulfites and those sulfites break down to sodium and or potassium and they're gone and so what people also don't realize is that fermentation itself yeast brewer's yeast also creates its own sulfites and that's what ha- helps protect the beer
2: mm-hmm.
1: so um, an ale yeast will produce roughly five uh, to ten ppm of sulfite. And um, a lager yeast, if fermented cold, will go up to from 25 to 50. So um, these are naturally produced sulfites, and uh, that's what helps your beer. And it kind of goes along with the process of us using the spunding and using this active yeast down the line to protect that beer.
0: So can we go into the spunding then, into the fermentation side? Why yeah. are we
1: spunding? Again, as home brewers, we really don't have – Effective methods, effective ways, final serving vessels, yeah. whether it be a keg or a bottle or what have you. So, on the website we have documented, and it's actually um, it's pretty scary. We went through and we did all the math, and we came up with uh, about how you how to properly purge a keg, and it's something like. If you want to just CO2 purge the keg by filling it up and hitting the PRV, it's going to take something like 32 full fill up to drain cycles to get that to an acceptable level, which no one does and which yeah. no one's going to do because it's just a giant waste of CO2. Uh, you know, the other method is to fill it up completely with water and sanitizer and then use CO2 to push that out because that water will fill all the voids. Right. And when you use that CO2 to push it out, it replaces that water with CO2 and that's the best way we can get a purge on our stuff. And so um, even with that, the use of spunding. So you work so hard on the hot side to mm-hmm. preserve these grain antioxidants, which turn into flavors. Um, and so it's super easy on the cold side for them to go away, basically, is, is the problem. And so we, we want to be really careful in traditional European and German brewing. They spun basically everything, mm-hmm. everything they don't spund, they Krausen. Yeah. And they're very cautious and conscious about active yeast and its role in the brewing process. It is the brewer's cheapest friend. You have it, it's in abundance uh, yeah. after fermentation. So you try and use that. So any oxygen that you pick up in your transfer from your fermenter to your keg or your bottle or wherever your final packaging is gonna be, you. how we spun is we transfer with 1% extract remaining, which means roughly uh, four gravity points, mm-hmm. plus or minus. And um, you're gonna, once you get to that point, you're going to transfer that beer to its final resting place and any oxygen picked up in the tubing from the transfer from the improper purge or you know anything like that you're going to even even professional breweries deal with um, O2 pickup throughout the brewery it, it's a it's a well known thing and people 99.9% of professional breweries are super conscious of DO pickup in the brewing process on the cold side. So what we can do is any oxygen that's picked up in that transfer left over in that keg, that, that, that active yeast will bring your DO levels back to zero, then naturally carbonate your beer for you. And we found that, um, just bottled CO2 contains up to 20 particles per million of oxygen in it as it, it's just there. So we found that through many, many, many batches and trials and triangle tests and all that fun stuff that if you brew a low-oxygen beer and you force carbonate it, let's say you ferment it to gravity, you transfer it uh, to a keg and you force carbonate it, you're going to probably lose all the flavors you worked so hard to create in probably less than a week. You'll see them fade before your eyes. Right. You'll, you'll pull a glass one day and you'll be like, oh, this is really good. The next day you'll be like, oh. That's not as good as it was yeah. And, and then it just is gone. And so um, with the spunding and all that, it it takes care of all that oxygen. It naturally carbonates your beer. The pressure and the yeast, they create uh, glycerol. And that glycerol is very foam positive. So you'll find that spunded beers have a really tight bubble and a dense head. Mm-hmm. The other thing that when you spun the beer, you have these billions of yeast cells throughout the beer acting as mini carbonation stones. And so that beer is basically instantly carved. It's fully carved within a day. So it's just uh, kind of a ingenious little way that they figured out on uh, how to get beer to self-carbonate itself. I mean, it's really no different than, you know, bottling. It's the same kind of concept, only we're doing it uh, without any any more sugar or anything yep. like that.
0: Backing up one one moment in the fermentation here, because you are adding oxygen at yes. one point, because the yeast is going to need some oxygen.
1: Yep, absolutely. So when are you doing that? So we're going to do that just when we normally would.
0: Okay, um, so right before you pitch your yeast?
1: Yep, right before you pitch your yeast. Okay. And the reason why it works and that's, that was another hangup for a lot of folks is, well, if you're doing all this to avoid oxygen, how, why are you adding oxygen?
2: Right.
1: Well, one, the yeast need it. Yeah. And, in um, the professional brewing world, they can actually get around it by using what they call a simulated yeast, basically mm-hmm. yeast that doesn't have to undergo its lag phases mm-hmm. and stuff like that. They can grow it in a separate vessel and then they can just pitch it. And basically when it's in its anaerobic phase, mm-hmm. um, so they can get around it that way. We can't. So we add oxygen, but w- what we have on our side is chemical reactions slow down dramatically as the temperature decreases. And so the, the reaction times uh, that would happen in the mash are something like a hundred fold slower okay. than what will happen at room temperature. And so um, if you're pitching healthy yeast all that yeast that yeast will have consumed all that oxygen probably within an hour, and so the yeast get what they need. We we want to expend all the sulfites that we added, so that's another reason why we oxygenate. Then you have a happy, healthy fermentation, which is a big piece of the puzzle as well.
0: Right. All right. Let me let me plug the website again at lowoxygenbrewing.com dot com for more in depth on everything that was spoken about today. Cause my head is spinning right now.
1: Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a rabbit hole,
0: right? <laughs> that's what it seems. like. <laughs> uh, there were a couple of times when you said some things and I'm like, well, that that's scary. No. Uh, okay. I have to change that like immediately on my next beer.
1: No. So the big thing is there's a lot of beer styles in the world that aren't brewed like this. Yeah. And it doesn't make the beer inferior or better. It makes it different, a different process with a different result. And so, um, I would say, you know, if you're trying to brew a Belgian beer may not have to use these same tactics. If you're brewing a British beer, then certainly not use these tactics because it's gonna, um, create a different profile for your bitter than you're expecting if you were ever in England. And so that's not to say that you can't brew them this way. You know, I personally, I brew every beer style the same way. My brewery set up to brew the same beer, you know, Mm -hmm. to do that. So no matter what beer I am brewing that day, it is a low oxygen beer. And it does change the beer. So, you know, my IPAs and my pale ales, which are traditionally not low oxygen brewed in the United States, um, are much more malty than the commercial counterparts. So, you know, there's ways to... You know, I add more hops, or, or or just leave it be. I like pale European multi beer, so I usually make a little bit multier IPA or pale ale. Um, and so uh, it just it, it doesn't ha- you don't have to. I mean, you don't have to change. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> yeah, right? well, that, yeah That's that's the first thing that that happens to everybody is you know, we discussed this and they're like, oh my God, I've been brewing wrong for the last forever. <laughs> I'm doing it all wrong. And, and it's definitely not like that. You know, um, it, it, you can brew beer uh, a myriad of ways and still make phenomenal beer. It's just uh, like, if you're trying to really drive home these European beers, whether it be a, a Pail of a Helles, a Dunkel, uh, a, a Wheat, a uh, uh any of those european styles if it's brewed in a commercial brew house meaning not like your little neighborhood small brewery there it's gonna be brewed low oxygen so if if you're trying to mimic those styles it's something you should really look into um but i mean it's no different of a process than you know brewing a bag or or decoction or you know take your pick it's a different brewing process that that creates a, a little different result.
0: So yeah, we went to Munich two years ago, and I've been working on a Hellas uh, ever since. Yeah, uh, and I, I keep going back to it and keep trying and keep trying. But th- so that's what I say when I <laughs> when my head is spinning. Like, all right, I got to try this next time. So yeah, thank you for uh, for going through it.
1: Oh yeah, my pleasure. And, I, I love and
0: dumbing to... it down for me.
1: Sorry. No, I, <laughs> no, I, that that's the whole. You know, basically. The whole low oxygen brewing website and all the stuff that that we do is I, I kind of, I put in the hard time and, and the hard work and the the effort and the schooling and the, the translating of German brewing books to English and yeah. all that stuff. So I could tell people, because when I stepped foot into this arena, you know, I had probably near a thousand batches under my belt. And I would say I was really proficient with the way I brewed. Yeah. And I had to basically throw out every single piece of, of knowledge I had and basically start from the bottom and build myself back up. So I didn't want other people to have to go through that. So once I went through that, we basically just started documenting it and and just saying, this is what worked, this is what didn't work, and we're not saying you have to do it this way, but if you do it this way, it's going to net a result that – you know, is positive. So, um, no, I get, I get the pain, but we tried to, uh, we, we tried to break it down to its, to its barest bones. I mean, I'm a member of, uh, the, all the brewing science, uh, it's called brewing science DE, which is the the biggest European brewing science consortium. And, um, I mean, I, I read, I read the scientific journals every day and it's all brewing and stuff. And, and it's hard to digest, so I don't want anyone else to have to go through that. So,
0: well, it's we'll very appreciated very much.
1: <laughs> yeah, no problem. We'll just make it easy <laughs> because you know it's a hobby for everybody. So making it unnecessarily complicated is is not the the thing you want to do for for people who uh, you know it's just a hobby. So, yeah.
0: and there's like dozens of things we we didn't even talk about, like like grain conditioning, and I'll leave people to. To go to lowoxygenbrewing.com com and read up for themselves, and yeah, uh, uh,
1: um, you know if if your brew club or whomever you know want to listen to this and digest some and and usually it it begs more questions. And if it's something you want to want me to come back on and and kind of talk about, I'm more than happy to do that as well.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Well, thank you again. My pleasure. Once again. Thank you to Brian Rabe. I am sorry that I, I sounded like an idiot. I felt like an idiot at the end of it. And I've been on lowoxygenbrewing.com ever since, reading, trying to get trying to get better into this. But especially because I like to make that Hellas a couple of times a year. Uh, it's something I'm going to be experimenting with, a couple of the best practices that we talked about in this episode. But if you have questions... Email them to me, scott at wnybrews.com, and I'll pass them on to Brian, and hopefully we can get them onto the podcast again, and we can do another episode uh, where we go a little bit deeper into the topics that you want to hear about. If you have any ideas for uh, podcast episodes, you can send those to me at scott at wnybrews.com. Once again, look for the BJCP Style Guideline Podcast. It's out there. It's on WNYBrews.com. If you've never been to WNYBrews.com and you're a local home brewer, you can check out the water profile tool, which is where you put in your address, and it will give you the closest water profile to your address based on other home brewers in the area sending theirs to me, and then I, I put it based on their location or close to their location, so it's not their exact address. Uh, If you have a water profile and you wouldn't mind sharing it with other local homebrewers, you can send that to scott at wnybrews.com. And lastly, if you wouldn't mind supporting the podcast by uh, rating and reviewing, if you haven't already, in iTunes or uh, anything else that will let you rate and review the podcast, it does help other people find it. There are other ways to support the podcast, too. You can find those at wnybrews.com forward slash support. Uh, Most of them are free. Uh, including there's an Amazon link there where if you click the Amazon link, it'll take you to Amazon and then whatever you purchase, they will send a commission uh, to West New York Brews without it costing you any extra. It's just, you followed my link and you went to their website and they are willing to pay for that. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to my uh, almost 10 minutes of just shameless self-promotion. Once again, we are going to close this episode out with the rearview ramblers. You can't buy beer with condolences. I will talk to you again in two weeks. Look for the BJCP podcast, and I will see you on YouTube next week. Thank you.